So today I'm going to start with a poem by Bikuni Sama, <coughs> which means song in Pali. After 25 years on the path, I've experienced almost everything except peace. When I was young, my mother told me that I would find true happiness only in marriage. Remembering her words all those years later, something in me began to tremble. And I gave myself to the trembling and it showed me all the pain this little heart had ever known and how countless lives of searching had brought me at least, at last, to the present moment, which I happily married. Can you imagine? We have been living together ever since without a single argument. So I think that's, you know, a very funny in some ways, but so true, yeah, really. You know, once we allow the trembling to happen, then all of those layers and layers of stuff, they just slowly, slowly, they drop away. And what's left is just this. And there's that, you know, that uh, it's enough. And then a different way of uh, being in the world, you know, which is, is much more real. Starts to you know, become an experience for us. And, and that experience is just so much fuller than what was earlier. That's a maturing really in the practice. And there's a second poem, which is just, you know, on the other page, and she's also called Sama, same name <laughs> and she says like a dog forever getting ready to sit all day and all night I circled my cushion these days body and mind sit together like old friends since we are not getting anywhere they eventually decided why not have a seat and try to relax there are many paths So it's that, uh, you know, this gesture, it sounds, maybe sounds a little bit like, you know, giving up, but it's not, it's, just, it's an acceptance, you know, which when that comes, then there is like a sense of, you know, we can work with anything. And, you know, with what we are going through right now, the COVID, you know, which is going on and on and on and the ridiculousness of how the American president behaves and, you know, makes a fool of himself in the whole wide world. 
and everything else, you know, what's happening that, you know, people are trying to launch all kinds of adventures in outer space because they don't want to deal with the mess which has been made here on the planet and all of these ridiculous uh, distractions from what really is the way forward. And that's also part of, you know, the human race. There's those all kinds of different levels of uh, beings are here and, and we all belong. And, uh, you know, having found the practice which can help us to clear away the excess stuff and reveal that which truly matters is such a great good fortune. You know, do not waste one's energy with running after, you know, fantasies such as trying to you know, terraform mass or whatever kind of ideas people have and uh, put in lots of money and resources into <coughs> escaping, escaping into, there's nowhere to go to. That's absolutely no doubt about that. It's all here. And... Uh, And that's, you know, for me, I, that's really a very, um, what's the right word here, a very um, calming thought, you know, that whatever the situation is, you know, like having a crazy president, you know, or flying to the moon or all kinds of things, the practice always stays the same that, you know, what the center of the practice always stays the same. And I have uh, brought today the Anguttara Nikaya with me, like a real big book. It's the number, the numerical discourses, because they are, you know, they are kind of <coughs> arranged in ones and twos and threes and fours and fives. And I'm going to read from the nines, the Anguttara nine, number 20 and uh, and it's called Velama and I think Velama here is a Brahmin Velama so it's a conversation which the Buddha has with the Brahmin Velama at Savati in Chetas Grove Anatta Bindika's Park where the Buddha spends, I think, 30 rains at Savati. So he spent a lot of time there. And and, the, and I think that uh, Brahmin asks him about, you know, I, I'm not quite sure right now what the whole story is, but the Buddha tells him, you know, what's the most uh, effective way to practice. And I thought, you know, that's to bring that back to mind from time time from time to time is, is very helpful. And he speaks about, you know, like uh, there's mainly he speaks about all kinds of offerings, you know, which one can make. 
And he says, you know, and feeding them. So he says, you know, that most effective for practice is to develop the perception of impermanence just for a time of a finger snap. It's that's the most effective way you know, of going about practice to look at impermanence. And the second most effective way is to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder, which doesn't take long, I would say. Even I've never pulled a cow's udder yet. I've pulled a goat's udder, I remember, but not a cow. But I think it takes about the same time. So it doesn't take long, you know. So, he, you know, in that sutta, it speaks about all kinds of offerings to Buddhas and, and the whole Sangha and all kinds of uh, devotional practices and, and everything. But the most effective in order to develop wisdom is the perception of impermanence, to pay attention to impermanence you know, in our own experience. And then if that, you know, if the mind isn't ready to do that because maybe it's in a, in a very contracted state then practicing metta you know getting the mind ready for insight by practicing metta the warm practices of the brahma viharas and, and the cool insight practices where you know paying attention to impermanence is such such a practice so those two Impermanence and the Brahma Viharas, they are the most uh, effective practices, you know, we should not forget about even the times are very challenging because it's not very complicated, but we need to remember it. And, uh, you know, that's the practice with impermanence to see the beginnings and endings of things is very, very fundamental to, to the path of liberation. Because there's, you know, often nothing much we can do about the conditions we are in, but we can do something about the mind. We can always do something about the mind. Even if we are just becoming conscious of what's going on, you know, on a level of body, level of feeling tones, mind states, just, you know, becoming conscious, just for a moment becoming conscious what propels us, you know, into aversion or into holding on, just noticing the feeling tone and the mind state. It just makes a world of a difference, you know, bringing that awareness to our experience. You know, being uh, conscious of what we are bringing to our experience, 
you know, the, the way how we are relating to our lives, to others, to our world, to our bodies, that's what makes all of the difference. And then, you know, remembering our intention, why are we practicing? And then making the decision, you know, what's the right next step? What fits in, you know, between where I am right now and where I want to go? What's the right next step to get closer to that? It's very, it's quite simple, you know. But very often we are already having said something, eaten something, done something, bought something, you know, not knowing what propelled us because we, the pressure was just like boom and suddenly you're already over there. You didn't even want to go there. So this is why these, uh, you know, practices of impermanence and also the Brahma Viharas are so important because depending on the situation, you know, we need to either like embrace what's there and allow it to settle in this manner or just to cut it through. And it depends what is the right thing is, is different at different times. You know, if there's a lot of fear and a lot of contraction, then we need to embrace and we need to meet that with kindness. But if you're already, you know, seeing clearly what's happening, we can just like cut a habit, just cut it through a million times. Cut it to pieces. Like Manchur Shri, you know, the um, Vajrayana um, Buddha of wisdom with the flaming sword. And what I wanted to speak about is, you know, today a little bit is about, um, you know, through these practices, the wisdom practices, the cool practices and the Brahma Vihara practices, the warm practices, what actually is the result of that. And, you know, the result of that is to see increasingly clearer and clearer the way things truly are, you know, without adding our personal history on top, but just seeing things as they are. And, uh, you know, one way of expressing that in the teaching is uh, speaking about the vipalasa, the distortions. That's also a sutta in the Ankutara Nikaya in the force, because there are four vipalasas, four distortions of perception. And uh, you know, they can be they can be correlated to the, the four foundations of mindfulness. So I'm gonna, you know, speak about those distortion of perceptions in uh, combination with the four foundations of mindfulness. And uh, so the first foundation of mindfulness is foundation of body. And the distortion of perception here is seeing what is not beautiful as beautiful. And that doesn't mean, you know, that 
bodies are not beautiful, they, they are beautiful, but they are also, you know, once you are like kind of pull away the skin and you look inside the body, it's not necessarily what I would call beautiful. And, you know, to consider that truth as well helps us to balance our perceptions about our own body and the body of others. And that's considered, you know, like a skillful means to work with, uh, you know, sexual desire and particularly like in monastic environments, you know. Just bringing a balance into perception. Just seeing the whole picture, not just the surface. So that's the first one. Asuba, not beautiful, and suba, beautiful. And then the next one is seeing what is painful, dukkha, as pleasant, sukha. That's uh, the second foundation of mindfulness. So, for example, you know, running after pleasant feelings all the time, all the time, and not seeing the dukkha in that, you know, how much uh, stress that brings to, into our lives and how much, like, maybe debt and uh, addiction and all kinds of very, very difficult situations. So seeing again, seeing the whole picture. And then the third one is, uh, this is the uh, foundation of mind, citta. Seeing what is impermanent, anicca as permanent nature. You know, and here we can, you know, when if we look at that, to kind of balance out our perception in terms of, you know, how important really is it that we satisfy our attachments if they are anyway impermanent? Can we just keep steady, you know, and, and really have that willingness to distinguish between needs and wants? Because there's a whole world of a difference because in the first look, it's, it's all the same. I want this. But do I really need this? Because there are certain things we do need. And if those needs are not fulfilled, we cannot mature into a practitioner, you know, which is really able to practice the Buddha's teaching really fully. We need to be mature human beings for that but we don't need to have all of our desires fulfilled. So to have that uh, courage, really, to look, is it a need or is it a want? And if it's a want, maybe we can put it down. It's a great power, you know, to be able to say no. If it doesn't come from aversion. But just saying, no, I don't need this, you know, I don't need another one of those. I already have. And then the fourth one is seeing what is without a self, 
anatta as a self atta. You know, so seeing the conditionality of all phenomena. You know, like when I was speaking about the earth before, you know, the body, earth element internally and earth element externally is exactly the same. So that uh, constant process of which we are one little tiny grain of sand moving through the universe. So those four distortions of perception, this is what gets cleared out through the practice, you know, and through that clearing out, there is more and more sense of uh, non-separation. And from that sense of non-separation, you know, fear drops away. And there's more acceptance and uh, just less and less uh, stress in our lives. And this, um, you know, those distortions of perception, they can actually happen on, on three different levels. You know, the, the most superficial one is the on the level of perception. For example, you know, when you are looking at the body of a beautiful being, you know, we think, wow, it's really beautiful. And we feel a sense of, I want, I want to be close, you know, I want to embrace that being is so attractive. But then, you know, if we can bear it, you know, to do that asuba meditation, we, we see, oh, you know, if I imagine the cut open the body and look inside, it looks very different. You know, that helps to cool, to cool things down. And it can be useful sometimes, you know. Especially if you are a monastic, but, but also it can be, you know, if you're not a monastic, I think there might be occasions where that might be helpful. And not in order, you know, to kill, be a killer of joy. No, not at all. But just be realistic. So on the next level is on the level of mind. And, and the, the, the third level is, the deepest one is in the level of you. And, and I can, you know, explain it with an, an example. For example, you know, we go for a walk in the forest and then I have experienced it a few times and I'm, I'm sure a few of you too. You know, you see a long object on the forest floor and suddenly you think for a moment it's a snake and the body just kind of shrinks and, 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 and shorts away for a moment and then you, that was on the level of perception and you know, thinking for a second it's a snake and then looking again and then seeing no no I just you know it was it's just such a very deep conditioning in our bodies that it's just like ancient 
equipment, you know, evolutionary equipment just reacting, you know, and then looking again and oh no, no, it's not a it's not a snake. It's just a piece of wood. But then you know, worrying in the mind, start thinking, oh, but maybe there are maybe snakes in that forest. Maybe I should go back, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, you know, and, and then starting worrying. So that's then on the next level, that's the mind level. And then, you know, developing a, like a phobia, for example, not, not wanting to go anywhere in the forest because there could be snakes. That would be on the level of view, you know, then even, you know, if we get information which is contrary to what we think, we can't let go. For example, you know, like Trump, he, it's very clear, you know, he hasn't lost, he has lost the elections and he hasn't, he is hasn't won it, but he just doesn't believe it. He comes up with all kinds of stories why he's right, because it's so deeply, deeply ingrained. And even, you know, information cannot sway that person. So that's people who are really, you know, obsessed with, uh, with their own preferences or with their own fears. And that can be quite difficult to, you know, to um, let go of. So the level of perception is is pretty easy, you know. And then if we read a book or learn about the way things really are, it's quite easy to let that go. And the next level of the mind as well, even more difficult, but it can be worked with. But the level of view is very, very deep. You know, that's our situation, that we have these uh, distortions of perception. And, and then, you know, through practicing and through the different levels of insight, they get ever more relaxed. And then they are fully let go of uh, with uh, full awakening. And you know the teaching of the Buddha is, is kind of designed to give suggestions, you know, to how we should look at our experience in order to slowly but surely, you know, wash away those distortions. So this is, you know, particular features of our experience we should pay attention to. And you know, the most Important one is impermanence. Again and again and again, as you know, boring as that might sound and repetitive, but that's the key. So, you know, because if we are paying attention to impermanence, the unsatisfactoriness becomes, you know, apparent it doesn't require a lot of uh, intellectual depth you know to understand that this which is impermanent and beyond our control cannot be permanently satisfactory and then you know and then the third the third feature which we will 
you know, more and more start to understand is uh, what's called anatta, not self, which means, you know, all phenomena, including our bodies and our houses and our planet and everything um, does not exist from its own side. It's a, it's a conditioned phenomena. It's a process which is constantly changing. And it's those three, you know, those three features to pay attention to those is considered, you know, that's the three Dhamma gates which have this liberating power if we really, really pay attention to them. You know, not only when we feel like it, but as much as possible all the time. You know, being less and less occupied by the content of our experience, but seeing more and more the repetitiveness, the structure of it. And then that's what washes away that uh, distortions. And then if those distortions are washed away, the craving naturally releases its grip because the mind, you know, responds. If it sees truth, it adjusts itself. And that's, you know, what the meditation is all about. It is about, you know, creating uh, causes and conditions for clear seeing so that the mind can catch up. And the catching up, you know, uh, manifests through letting go, you know, letting go of certain assumptions which are not true. Those distortions, you know, letting them go and adjusting more and more in regards to what's really there. You know, what first we thought is a snake, we see, oh, it's just a piece of wood, what's the problem? Just keep moving. And many, many things turn out to be like this, really. So that's this process of, of deconditioning. You know, where there is a less and less need, you know, to project our own story onto our experience. And then, you know, through that also a sense of separation is washed away. It's not that... It's, it's a different enrichment, you know, whereas before we always thought if we get what we want, we're going to feel rich. But then is, you know, through being less separated from everything, it's a different kind of enriching which happens. And when that starts to happen, you know, the mind is much more poised to letting go also because there's no more sense of lack. So that's a you know very beautiful um, experience when there's this sense of yes you know I'm in the right place and it's all going in the right direction even it doesn't look like it.
in the right direction has a, has something to do with uh, inclining the mind towards increasing clarity. And those challenges, whatever they are, you know, they can be all be fuel for that process, you know, to bring out the best of us. And it's exactly, you know, that vulnerability, which is at the same time also a blessing because it's, it affords us, you know, an adaptability also to really being able to adapt to the truth when we see it, when we know it. And if we are not having that vulnerability to be able to perceive truth, then we can't really adjust. So it's all an incredible package, you know, of... Uh, difficulties and choice, you know, which we can learn to use in the right way so that it leads towards awakening rather than, you know, going to sleep and defending. Because I think, you know, that's why we are here. We are here to evolve our highest potential. And that can only happen by, you know, opening to what is and allowing that truth of what is, you know, to wash away those distortions and allowing the mind to adjust and expand more and more. So I just want to go through those four distortions one more time. The first one is, you know, on the body, on the level of body is seeing what is not beautiful as beautiful. And that's not only about our bodies, but about lots of things you know which are on which are out there which we think we need to have the second foundation is around feeling level seeing what is painful as pleasant the third one level of mind states seeing what is impermanent as permanent and the fourth one, seeing what is without a self as a self. So that's those four distortions of perception. And, you know, it's in a nutshell why we are practicing and it's a nutshell what is the work, you know, what are we really doing? And the Buddha, you know, has given us lots of different uh, 
lists like this, you know, to keep uh, on track. And that's just one of those many lists. And I find it very useful. And, and then I'd like to, you know, read another beautiful poem here. And that one is by Dantika Bikuni, The Elephant. While walking along the river, after a long day meditating on Vulture's Peak, I watched an elephant splashing its way out of the water and up the bank. Hello, my friend, a man waiting there said, scratching the elephant behind its ear. Did you have a good bath? The elephant stretched out its leg. The man climbed up and the two rode off like that together. Seeing what had once been so wild, now a friend and companion to this good man, I took a seat under the nearest tree and reached out a gentle hand to my own mind. Truly, I thought, this is why I came to the woods. Seeing what had once been so wild, now a friend and companion to this good man, I took a seat under the nearest tree and reached out a gentle hand to my own mind. Truly, I thought, this is why I came to the woods. You know, and I think the more those distortions of perception are unquestioned, the wilder the mind is, the more restless the mind is. And then, you know, through attending in the way I was speaking before, you know, the mind just starts to settle down because it's less uh, befuddled and less bewitched, you know, by phenomena. And, you know, and if you have ever experienced that when you went to the forest, you know, when we, when you for a moment saw, you know, thought that a piece of wood was a snake and how the body reacted and how the whole system, you know, kind of shut down, you know how powerful that is, you know. This is our homo sapiens mammalian luggage, you know, which we have to make friends with, like with that elephant, you know. We have to tame it with by showing the showing the truth. You know. And then the mind will adjust. Because, you know, this this uh drive towards evolving, we can align ourselves with that. The heart and the mind want to expand. We have to find the right skillful means to support that process. So I think that's what I wanted to share today. 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.